So we're going to continue on in the book of Second Chronicles. And we're going through, as we always do, verse by verse. And um, I won't be getting deeply into the, many of the verses this time, but we'll still go through all the verses of chapter 12. That's Second Chronicles chapter 12. We're just going to read verse 1. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? The scripture reads, Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord, and all Israel along with him. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is America Rejecting God's Law, an election sermon. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you for this time that we have in your word. We pray that we would see clearly your ways and your thoughts. Lord, you see the dire situation of our nation, consequences that it's brought upon itself and its rebellion against you, that the people have forsaken your law, that the nation civilly has forsaken your law nationally. And Lord, we just ask and pray that you use this sermon for good in the hearts and minds of the hearers and that you use each one here. May we live faithful and true to you so that our days count. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Be seated. So here we are in verse 1. Verse 1 declares that Rehoboam in the southern kingdom forsook the law of God. They forsook, they abandoned, they rejected the law of the Lord. These are all legitimate interpretations. Forsook, abandoned, rejected. The law of the Lord. Both the king and the people. Both the people and the government. As it says, Rehoboam forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. This did not mean every last person. You understand that. But it did mean most. It did mean most had forsook the Lord individually and they had forsaken the law of the Lord civilly societally, as a nation. Remember, the leader of the secession movement, Jeroboam, had already rejected the Lord along with the people in the northern kingdom. And now the same thing in the southern kingdom. Nations rejecting the law of God has a long litany in the history of man. It has a long, sad litany in the history of man. America has rejected the law of God. We have joined in that long litany. And America has rejected the law of God. Most people individually and society, civilly, as a nation here in America, have rejected the law of God. Our laws do not mirror the law and justice of God. In fact, they stand in glaring opposition to his law and word. Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, so this government says it can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Bible says you shall not commit adultery, so this government says that adultery is no crime at all. Bible says you shall not murder, and most American governments say it is okay to murder your own son or daughter via abortion. The Bible says if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat, so this government creates a society where you don't have to work and you still get to eat. The Bible says the first fruit of our increase is to go to the Lord, so this government takes the first fruit 
right out of Americans' paychecks before they can give it to the Lord. And we could go on and on here, probably for hours. It's almost like they go to the Word of God and His law to see what He says and then make law exactly opposite of it. Not only have the people and the government officials and the businessmen, by and large, rejected and abandoned the law of the Lord, but so have the churchmen. So has the vast majority of churches and Christians abandoned the law of God. The cry of American Christianity over the last 80 years is, any law but God's law. Give us secular law, give us the status law, even give us the devil worshiper law. Any law but God's law. That has been the you and cry. Listen to the sermons. Throwing the law of God under the bus. And the rejection of God's law by American Christianity has reached such a point of insanity that Christians are now voting against the law of God. The rejection of God's law by American Christianity has reached such a point of insanity that Christians are even voting against the law of God. They are voting for men that openly impugn the law of God. Here in our own state, we have as examples of that Tim Michaels running as Republican for governor. We also have Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator, running for re-election, Republican, and others. But it's happening from coast to coast. Did you notice that the lesser of two evils just keeps getting more evil? You had to talk to people in other states that have the same problem. Even worse than here. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Pennsylvania, for example. Hmm, Dr. Oz or Fetterman? Wow. Seriously? And the guy running for governor out there, he claims, the good guy supposedly, he just voted with the legislature to remove their laws against sodomy off their books just this past spring. And on and on. Every state you go to, they're encountering the same problem where men are supposedly the good guys, the Republicans, and they are openly impugning the law of God. Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator, running for re-election here in Wisconsin, he recently said that he believed in civil unions. He didn't think it should have been marriage, but it should have been a civil war. If you know anything about civil unions or marriage, they're the same. It's just a word game. Everybody knows that who has a brain. He said he has no problem with two people the same sex who love each other to have the same rights as a man and a woman who marry. That's what he said. Big deal if people say that homosex is a sin. The main question is, do they want to see it criminalized? That's the question. Do you believe homosexual acts should be criminalized? He doesn't. He's willing to give even more and say that They love each other. They should have the same thing a man and a woman who marry get. He said SCOTUS decided the issue and said it was marriage. He said it will never be overturned. He said, let's put that behind us. The nation has other problems. No need to reopen that wound, he said. I have this all on tape. He is fine with sodomy. Not only does he not want to criminalize as it should be, he is good with fomenting through law its evil. Ron Johnson openly impugns the law of God, and Christians vote for him. The insanity has reached the point where Christians vote for men who impugn God's law. They are voting against the law of God. So Christian parents tell their children 
this is a good guy. They point to Ron Johnson. This is the good guy. But then the children hear the good guy saying all this stuff about homosex, supporting it, saying it's fine, two people using the same rhetoric the world uses, two people who love each other should be able to marry. What's the children, what are the children supposed to think after their parents told them, oh, that's the good guy. We're voting for him. Tim Michaels on the Dan O'Donnell Show on September 22nd said that he will sign a law that says those conceived in rape or incest can be murdered by abortion. I'll put the links to these news stories, by the way, in the detail box of the thingamabob here. Here's what was said on the O'Donnell Show. Dan O'Donnell asked Tim Michaels, you have stated that your policy is an exact mirror of the current law that's on the books that outlaws abortions in Wisconsin and does not provide exceptions for cases of rape or incest. If you're elected governor and if the presumably Republican legislature hands you a bill that says we are banning abortion in Wisconsin, but there will be exceptions for rape or incest, would you sign it? To Michael's answer, he said, yeah, yes, I would sign that bill. And let me say a couple of things about that. I am pro-life and make no apologies for that. So just after he declares that he's going to murder a whole group of people who are conceived in rape or incest, he then appeals to the fact that he's pro-life and makes no... He goes on and says, but I also understand that this is a representative democracy. And if the people, in this case, the legislature, brought a bill before me, as you just stated, I would sign that. I understand that the governor, you know, you're not the ultimate authority on things that you work with the legislature and the state senate and the assembly. They're closest to the people. So if, yes, that bill was put before me, I would sign it. So if the people want to murder a group of people, he's okay with that. (laughs) That's not law. That's not what our founders established here in America. That's mob rule. What if the mob, what what if all the people decided they wanted a law passed that said everybody with the last name of Michaels could be murdered? Would he sign that into law because it's a representative democracy? And so he would just, yeah, that's what the people want. All us Michaels get to die. I'm just the governor. On October 18th, he went even further, and he said, I will never arrest a doctor. He's referring to the, uh, the abortion laws that he appealed. He says, I will never arrest a doctor, as they're saying. I'm a reasonable guy, unquote. He's a reasonable guy. He's reasonable when it comes to murder. So understand, if you vote for Michaels, you are voting for someone who intends on murdering people, and you'll have your hand in it. You are voting for innocent blood to be shed. As Christians, we cannot in good conscience vote for any magistrate who wants to shed innocent blood. Murder is against God's law. We should not vote for a man who impugns the law of God and declares he will make a law that says you can murder. And I warn you on this. And there's plenty of whore churchmen who will tell you and give you stories to make you feel totally good in your little brain and heart and mind that you're good voting for these men. They're a dime a dozen. I'm here to warn you. Christians don't vote for murder. The duty of every Christian in Wisconsin is not to just give Michaels a pass and say, yeah, 
I'm still going to vote for you, but you really need to change on that. The duty of every Christian in Wisconsin is to call Michaels to repent, just as we have the same duty with Evers on the Democrat side who wants to murder them. We should not vote for either of them. Unfortunately, most Christians are already saying they're fine voting for Michaels, even though he supports murder. Understand, since the Dobbs opinion, every death camp has been shut down. They are not murdering those conceived in rape or incest, nor should they be. So what should you do? You should not vote for anyone for governor. How do I do that, Pastor Matt? You don't pick up the black marker and put a little black mark in the little oval symbol next to their name. That's how you do it. How can you vote for either? Christians do not vote for innocent blood to be shed, and both men have proclaimed, I intend to shed innocent blood. You are a Christian first. Remember that. You represent Christ and his rule in the earth. If you vote for Michaels, you're voting for murder. You are voting for people to be murdered. You have aided in the murder of people yourself, and you yourself have openly impugned the law of God. Every Christian needs to contact Michaels, tell him no. Tell him murder's wrong, period. Call him to repentance and to do what is right in the sight of Christ. He claims Christ. He says he's a Christian. Even when asked about this, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, you've got to understand, this is what the people want. It's a representative democracy. You think Voss and plenty of other Republican legislators aren't going to bring a bill to start murdering those conceived in rape and incest? Yeah. So the duty of the Christian is to call the magistrate or magistrate wannabe to repentance. Unfortunately, most Christians say, I will vote for Michaels because he will murder less people than Evers. Have you heard that? Write an article like I did, and you'll get lots of people tell you that. I'm voting for Michaels. He will murder less people than Evers. This is situational ethics being proffered by Christian people. Situational ethics. Most Christians just accept situational ethics. I mean, they've been schooled in it all their lives in this culture, through the media, through the schools, through their pulpits, through the conservative talking heads, the liberal talk, and down the line. They all just accept situational ethics in their view of life. But they know nothing of its presuppositions, know nothing of its major premises, know nothing of its major tenets. But they all use it. They all think that way. One major premise or tenet is that situational ethics is not based on moral absolutes. Situational ethics actually rejects moral absolutes and can only function if moral absolutes are eliminated. Secondly, situational ethics is not based on moral absolutes, but rather situational ethics only looks at the context of the situation, and that is then evaluated by one's personal ideas and ideals. Read any scholar, and they will state everything I just summarized to you. Some of them have a lot of stuff that say the same thing. The bottom line is what I just said to you. These are major tenets, premises of situational ethics. 
You can even read Wikipedia. And Wikipedia will tell you the same thing that every scholar says. Wikipedia, here's what they say. Situational ethics or situation ethics takes into account only the particular context of an act when evaluating it ethically, rather than judging it according to absolute moral standards, with the intent to have a fair basis for judgments or action One looks to personal ideals of what is appropriate to guide them rather than an unchanging universal code of conduct such as biblical law, unquote. That's right out of Wikipedia. So take your situational ethics and shove it. I can vote for Michaels because he's going to kill less than Evers. Yeah, you can only do it if you spit on the law of God and spit on moral absolutes. Another major understand or tenet or premise or thing of note regarding situational ethics is that you need to understand it was liberal theologians that first advocated for situational ethics among Christians. Back in the first half of the last century, that'd be the 1900s, they were the ones who first started transforming the definition of love. They divorced the definition of love from Scripture, and once you divorce the ethic of love from Scripture and God's law, you can use the ethic of love to justify any action. And that is what situational ethics does. And that is easy to do once you have removed love's connection to moral absolutes, once you have removed the ethic of love from God's law. Very easy to do. Here's what Wikipedia says about these liberal Christians. Quote, specifically, Christian forms of situational ethics placing love above all particular principles or rules were proposed in the first half of the 20th century by liberal theologians Rudolf Bultmann, John A.T. Robinson, and Joseph Fletcher. These theologians point specifically to agape, or unconditional love as the highest end, Other theologians who advocated situational ethics include Joseph Fuchs, Reinhold Niebuhr, Karl Barth, Emil Bruner, and Paul Tillich. Tillich, for example, declared that, quote, love is the ultimate law, unquote. Fletcher, Wikipedia goes on and says, who became prominently associated with this approach in the English-speaking world due to his book Situation Ethics, stated that, quote, all laws and rules and principles and ideals and norms are only contingent, only valid if they happen to serve love, unquote, in the particular situation. And thus may be broken or ignored if another course of action would achieve a more loving outcome. This is what Wikipedia has to say about it. And of course... The Christian thinks the more loving outcome is, I'll vote for the guy who's going to murder less people. Why? Because you've already embraced a rotten form of thinking called situational ethics. And you listen to your little dopey conservative talking heads, and they convince you, you better do it, and they fill you with fear. Oh, fear. Think how much worse it would be if the Democrat got in. Right? Right? You have embraced situational ethics when you want to vote for the guy who will murder less than the other guy. You have rejected the law of God. You can say along with Michaels now, 
If the people want to murder these people, who am I to stand in their way? It's a representative democracy. You can stand with Michaels now when you vote for him and you can say, I'm a reasonable guy too. I'm only for murdering some people. Not as many as that other dude. Wikipedia says, some have argued that it is not a true Christian ethic. Talking about situational ethic, as it ignores absolute moral commands and its emphasis on the concept of love. You think? Christians are going to vote for Republicans who openly impugn the law of God all in the name of situational ethics. A debased, debauched form of thinking that spits in the face of Christ and tramples the law of God underfoot. And again, have you noticed that the lesser of two evils just keeps getting more evil as you keep voting for it? Michaels, Johnson, even Charlie Kirk, when he was here, all promoted situational ethics, and they employed fear to do it. Each of them stated, we must all join together and unify to defeat the Democrats. That is the number one thing, to defeat the Democrats. Because we all know life's going to end in 48 hours if the Democrats are in power. What we do know is, every time the Republicans get in power, nothing changes! That's what we know! And Christians are willing to trample the law of God and spit in the face of Christ to keep that little status quo cycle going. Voting for men who openly impugn the law of God. They do this through fear. Fear the Democrats vote for us. And I ask you, where is your fear of God? Where is your faithfulness to the Lord? Do you actually think the Republicans care about you? Do you actually think the Republicans care about what is right? Do you actually think they will protect liberty and freedom that men fought, bled, and died for us to possess? You actually think that? You haven't been paying attention if you do. They don't. What did they do during the pre-tendemic to protect you? Nothing. Rather, they politicized it. They enjoyed the massive amounts of money lauded upon them from the federal beast. Did they take power away from all the medical and health officials acting like Nazis? No, they did not. Rather, they strengthened their authority. Remember how the medical people were killing thousands through their death protocols earlier this year and the last half of last year? Thousands of people killed in hospitals, including here in Wisconsin, through these death protocols by these sick, Nazi, state-driven health officials and medical personnel. Did the Republicans protect the patients being held hostage at the hospitals while being killed? Did the Republicans help the families of those being held hostage, help them free their loved ones from the clutches of these hospitals, which had the guns in the state standing next to them, saying you will do nothing while they die? 
Even our state Supreme Court said that a family who took a case all the way up to them, they side with the hospital, not the family, while their loved one is being killed by these dogs. No, they didn't protect you. Here in Wisconsin, rather, Robin Voss and the Republicans made it a felony to threaten medical people. That's what they did just this year. You are now a felon just to threaten a medical... You know how worked up you can get when you see people acting wrong, trying to kill your own loved one, doing things that are not proper? Now the medical people have a new term. You know what it's called? Disruptive behavior. Once you hear that term, disruptive behavior, you're this close to being arrested and charged as a felon, thanks to the Republicans. You're going to stand there. You're going to give up your manhood, and you're going to listen to what we say. And if you don't like it, and you raise your voice or make any kind of threat, like any normal, decent, good man would do, we'll call the state and they'll arrest you. And it's all done by the Republicans. And signed by the Democrat, Tony Evers. Wow. Aren't we supposed to fear them? No, they only use them as political footballs so that you run over, spit on the law of God, and vote for these dogs who are scum and aren't worthy of your vote. You live in a police state because it's been built by the Democrats and Republicans alike. Most people, I never had that happen to me. That's what they're like. I never had that happen to me. You know, their life is so myopic and pathetic, right? So pissant that if it didn't happen to me, that somehow means everything that you're saying isn't true. That's not true, because it didn't happen to me. It only hasn't happened to you because you either haven't been in the situation, and it probably won't happen to you anyways, because you've never found an edict from the state not to comply with. You'll comply with everything and anything. Because you are a weakling, because you're a loser... You could never do what is right. You could never take a stand against evil. I am reasonable. I reason with people. Oh, really? Wait till your ox is gored. Then we will see how pompous you are. Inflation. What are they telling you all? We all know which party to vote for if you want to see inflation stop. Vote Republican, you want to see inflation stop. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was the Republicans and conservatives in cahoots with the Democrats who spent massive amounts of money two and a half years ago on their pretendemic. I told people back then, it's going to be about two years, that's how long it takes, and the inflation's going to soar. And where are we at two years later? And the inflation's been soaring for the last several months. You haven't even begun to taste the inflation that's going to be coming because of the evil Joe Biden has done. You're just tasting the inflation that the Republicans, Trump, and the Democrats did to you. Oh, we'll do a vote for that party, and uh, you know the inflation thing will just just go away. Just go away. Only if you're a dope, do you believe that? Yesterday, I was getting on an airplane in Seattle, and the line was 800 miles long to go through TSA. 
Reminding me once again, the police state we live in, I know you feel safe about it, it's a police state. And these guys are at the end of the line, which is a sea long, stampeded like a bunch of cattle going up and down these little iron barred gauntlet things. And, oh, if you just give us an eye retina screening, you can get on the plane in three minutes. And there go the people. Four different retina machines. All the people doing it. It's all voluntary, of course, right now. It's always voluntary until it becomes normalized and then becomes required. And you've already been seeing it going on so long, it's like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal, like the frog in the boiling pot. So here's the people, dopey as can be. I took a picture of it, put it on Facebook. Yeah, said, don't do what these people are doing. Who's building this police state? The Republicans and the Democrats together. That's who's building the police state. Washington County, they want to add millions of dollars to law enforcement. Here's what you have, right? Here's the road. There's a ditch on the right and a ditch on the left. All these dopey Democrats are in the ditch on the right. We'll, we'll, we'll torment them that way, and we'll say they're on the ditch on the right. And they're all saying, defund the police. Yeah, defund the police. And then all the Republicans are in the other ditch on the other side saying, oh, they want to defund the police, politicizing it. We have to spend millions to buff the police up, right? In Washington County, where I live, they want to add millions upon millions of dollars to law enforcement, Our sheriff there, who's never met with me, even though I tried to meet with him three times, obviously doesn't care about meeting with his constituents. He says he's for proactive policing. I'm not for proactive policing. You come around after something's happened, okay? I don't want you sticking your nose up everybody's rear end. But that's what proactive policing is, plain and simple. During a public hearing I was at, he shared a story showing how bad crime is, and they sell it all with fear. Oh, fear. There's all kinds of criminals coming into Washington County. Oh, my golly. Are you kidding me? So I point out that since 2014 to 2021, the number of criminals booked into the Washington County Jail has dropped over 20%. But we need to spend all this money, right, for this thing. So the sheriff's telling stories to get everybody fearful. And he shares a story out of my town, Richfield, where some guy broke in the house, he's down in the kitchen, and then he said the guy got a gun who lived in the house. The guy got his gun, and he said this, something I don't advocate. Yeah. Tells you everything you need to know about that man. Something I don't advocate. And it's all on film. But you ought to see all the dopes lining up. Where do I give? (laughs) I want to be safe. You know, this is important to me. How about the coup d'etat of it all? CBDC, central bank digital currencies. Coming like a freight train. Once they have this, they have everything they want. Complete control, a complete surveillance state where they can decide what you eat and if you eat. The Republicans can't even stand against men being allowed in girls' shower rooms and bathrooms. You think they're going to protect you from evil men when money's on the line? 
They will gladly join hands with them. They already are joining hands with them so that the rich elites, in conjunction with the government, can control every aspect of your lives. Both parties are socialists. Both point their fingers at each other like school children in order to stampede the people into one party or the other. But both are headed in the same direction. And this all goes back to rejecting the law of God. When a person rejects the law of the Lord, it has consequences. And when societies and nations reject the law of God, it has consequences. Our nation is experiencing the consequences. Do I need to recite the plethora of ways our nation is suffering the consequences? Or are you able to see it with your own two beady eyes? Verse 2 here in chapter 12 goes on and says, And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim and the Sukkim and the Ethiopians, and he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So, Rehoboam had established himself for three years. Remember that back in verse 17 of chapter 11? We saw in our last sermon, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, sons of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Now five years has gone by. We're at his fifth year. Two years has gone by since the three years. They've obviously been in rebellion to God. They have forsaken his law. Now there's a major consequence. The Egyptians are coming in, and they're going to take everything. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to take everything. And I can assure you this wasn't the only consequence. It just happens to be the one the scriptures mention. When nations forsake the law of God, bad consequences ensue upon the nation. So what do we do? Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 5, Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me. And therefore, I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. God's interventive, not just the consequences of his judgments built into his created order, which there are many of those. Here is his actual judgment by him. You have forsaken me, therefore, I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. And look what it says in verse 6. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said the Lord is righteous. That's what we have to do. Humble ourselves in the sight of God. Humble ourselves. Look what it goes on. It says, Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves. Therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out in Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out and they would take them back into the guard room. When he, talking about Rehoboam, humbled himself, The wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. Amen? What do we do? We need to humble ourselves in the sight of God. James says if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will raise us up. Amen? We need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. 
Look what it says in 13, verse A of our passage. It says, Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. He humbled himself, the Lord raised him up. How do we humble ourselves? In part by not voting for men who openly impugn the law of God, by standing with the Lord, by realizing we do not bring about good by doing evil, by voting for men who uphold evil or intend to do evil. Our hope is in God. Putting our faces low to the ground, crying out to him, repenting where we need to, and calling the people of this nation to repentance before the Lord and pointing them to Christ and his rule. And I have to ask you, are you broken? Have you wept? We must humble ourselves. All this hubris of the red tsunami of the midterms, seriously, you actually think it's going to make a difference. The nation is in shambles. The people need to repent and put the Lord first. Repentance is needed. This hubris about the midterms and we're taking back our nation? Are you crazy? The nation is lost. Repentance is needed. The churchmen are whores, mostly made up of hirelings. American Christianity is a cheap whore made up of weaklings. All while the nation is burning itself to the ground in its rebellion against God. Do you see the state of our nation? It's rebellion against the Lord and the misery it has brought? Does it bother you when you see the governments of men openly impugning the law of God? Does your heart burn to speak and to act? Notice what it said there in verse 8, I believe it was. He said, nevertheless, they will be his servants, talking about Shishaks, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations so that they would see how life is different under the rule of these status dogs versus his rule. They'll be able to see the difference. And hopefully at that point they will repent and return to the Lord. Amen? And they did, at least briefly, but not fully. Look what verse 13 goes on and says, Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord has chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. What did Rehoboam go back to doing? Evil. And why did he do it? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. It was short-lived. It was like God was this little genie in a bottle. I'm not liking how things are going here, so I'll do good for a little while, and God will make things better for me. Right. I did that when I was five years old. I remember being sick, sitting on my bed. I told God I hated Mass. I was raised Catholic. It was the longest 45 weeks, 45 minutes of every week, sitting in that drudgery. And I remember saying, God, you know, get me well, and I'll go to Mass happy. Every Sunday. As soon as I was well, I could have cared less. <laughs> so I, said, I wasn't going to do it. Rub bones the same way. Goes back to doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Goes on and says the acts of Rub first and last. Are they not written in the book of 
Shemaiah the prophet, and of Edo, the seer concerning genealogies. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, then Abijah. His son reigned in his place. End of chapter 12. We'll cover chapter 13 next time. So I will amble down and I will vote on Tuesday for two things. I only have two to vote for. Some of you may have more, depending on what's going on in your area. And those two things are I will vote for Andrew Zelke for treasure, and I will vote no to the millions of dollars they want to raise for their police state. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we had this time in your word. We ask that you would use it for good in the hearts and minds of the people. We pray, O oh God, that you set a fire in the hearts of your people that they will do right by you. They won't be caught up in the political melu, that they would allow their understanding of Scripture to dictate how they think about civil government matters, not rather take civil government matters and make it dictate how they view Scripture. Lord, we just ask and pray that we would be faithful and true to you in these days and these hours. We remember, Lord, that Jeremiah was accused of being guilty of treason for being faithful to you. Lord, we're sad, fast and soon approaching that day where some of us may be accused of treason, simply being faithful to you. But may we be faithful to you, O Lord. May our hearts cry within us. And may our days count in the earth to the glory of your name, we pray. Grant repentance to us where it is needed in our lives. Help us to have the strength of heart to call men to repentance in our nation, to declare what's right, even when it's not popular. Lord, we give thanks to you and praise to you that you have redeemed us so our lives have meaning. Our lives have no meaning without you. And so may we live our days in service to him who died in our stead. May we bring glory to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You could be seated.